Have you ever noticed that if you ask 10 people what corporate diversity and inclusion means, you'll get 10 different answers? We invite you to join us for the Inclusion Score podcast as we discuss the standardization of corporate diversity and inclusion. I'm Karen Prater Jasmine, Chief Data Officer at Inclusion Score. And I'm James Felton Keith, CEO at Inclusion Score. We'll meet with leading experts, academics, diplomats, and business people about how to methodologically deliver corporate inclusivity across your organization's governance, HR, product delivery, and supplier diversity. Let's focus on getting DNI right, because if you've worked where we've worked over the years, you know that a bad system beats good intentions any day. WHCR 90.3 FM, New York. I just confirmed we are live on LinkedIn. All right. Hi, everybody out there. Jason Qualia here with Risk Management Solutions. We're here with James Felton Keith from the Inclusion Score, CEO and founder of the Inclusion Score. How's it going, James? Hey, Jason. It's good. You know, it's it's crazy in New York today. It's snowing. But other than that, um, all is good. I, I can't complain. It's been a good new year. Happy New Year, by the way. Yeah. Happy New Year. Happy. We, it looks like we both have new looks going for 2024. Yeah. I don't know if I'm recognizable anymore. But yeah, we, we got rid of a lot of hair from 2023. A lot of hair, a lot of headaches, I suppose. Yeah, I, leave I it all behind us. Right. That part. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, we've got we've got Chicago or we've got snow here, too, in Chicago, about two to three inches. That was annoying this morning, having to shovel the drive and... Uh, Oh really? Oh, you get out there and, and shovel the the driveway like you. I guess it's good. Is it good exercise? I don't know. I, I hear the debate whether I don't know whether people think it's a good thing or a bad thing or what we should be doing. But right, you all have driveways. I just live in a building. We don't we don't go outside anymore. Oh yeah, so they take care of it for you. They salt it and and you're good. Yeah, you know I, I hear it's good exercise, but I hear a lot of people have heart attacks while they're shoveling too. So <laughs> make sure you take your baby aspirin. Yeah, I mean. I, yeah, I think at this point, I think I'd be nervous to to do it uh, myself. But anyway, um, yeah, yeah. Let's let's get into it. So so James, um, you you are just a wealth of knowledge when it comes to all things uh, DEI. And you know, I kind of want to start with a definition that I found because mm -hmm. I know you can go into it, and I know it's such an expansive definition. Sure. Definition, yeah. Yeah, let's try to keep it tight. So uh, the definition of uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion that I found this morning said basically it's a philosophy and a culture um, of embracing, acknowledging, supporting uh, people of all race, gender, uh, sexuality, and then they leave it open-ended at the end for anything that wasn't listed. Right, right. Is, is that a fair definition we want to work off of, or, or do you have something better? So it, it's, a, it's a fair definition if you're just talking, you know, culturally to, to any random person on the street. But I think it's also it's problematic for business in that it's not definable per the function of the businesses that we all run, right? The, the insurers that we're interacting with as, um, as insurance guys. And so I think that the actual definition should be refined to DEI or 
DEI and B is a business process based on ISO 30415. Now, I know that sounds technical and weird, and some people may go, what the hell is ISO 30415? But it's the international standard for DEI. And even while diversity, equity, inclusion, and everything else, belonging and accessibility and justice, they're going to add new letters, I'm assuming, in a few years. While those are a philosophy, that's not a business function. And so in order to port that philosophy into the business, you have to do that via business process, right? And that's how we as risk managers can evaluate which organizations are least risky and most risky, no matter what kind of people work there, right? And so I think the well, proper answer. Uh, oh, well, no, go yeah, what I, what I was going to say, you, you kind of went to my next question, which is how DEI is manifesting itself in corporations across the country. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a better question just because of the, the beginning word. We should be asking ourselves, how do we DEI, not what it is, right? Because what it is, if you ask 10 people at any company, they're going to give you 10 different answers. Got it. How is something very different. And so how we see it manifesting, I know everyone's seeing the headlines right now, like DEI is under attack or it's going away. Elon Musk is saying DEI must die. I'll tell you two things. Number one, how it won't. And number two, how it's transitioning. So to answer your question, the latter first, how is it manifesting in corporations? What we see is while we see a move away from some of the, the diversity dog and pony show and the diversity quotas that used to exist. Um, what we actually see is companies spending to standardize and professionalize how, not what, but how they deliver DEI as a business process. So that's number one. And we don't see that slowing down because corporate America and corporate world is trying to reflect the people who exist in the world because corporations and, and work is how we distribute capital and access to quality of life. So it's not going anywhere, but it is changing. The other thing that I mentioned is uh, sort of how we're standardizing. We're doing that based on these business processes rooted in international standards so that we at least start from a consensus around what we want to implement. And so instead of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, we're implementing these standard processes in corporate governance, HR, product delivery, and procurement or supplier diversity, right? So it's still four things, gotcha. but it's not the warm, fuzzy philosophy. It's the functional parts of the business. Governance, things we do with executives, right? HR, things we do with our employees. Mm -hmm. Product delivery, whether our products a service or something more tangible, it's in there. And last but not least is for the bigger corporations, procurement or how we buy, right? Mm -hmm. How we buy services or, or products. So that's what I see happening. Things are transitioning. I think the spend is still up, but a lot of the leadership that we used to see at certain corporations that were coming in just to do communications around DEI, some of those folks, and those are the headlines that we see, they're going away because two things are happening. Well, well, let me clarify what you're saying. So yeah. you're saying right now, corporations are not cutting spending on DEI programs or touching those four silos. They're removing the position, the DEI position, who has previously been more of a communications uh, position. Totally. All right. Yeah. All right. 
Yeah, I mean that's that's what we see because we just we don't see the spend going again. Some folks might punch back with the headlines. Like there was a headline about Goldman Sachs. They had made a commitment to spend a billion dollars on minority-owned businesses, and they spent that number. And everyone's like, "Well, they're deleting their commitment." They spent their their number, and quite frankly, they spent their number with a lot of large companies. We still need separate, more concerted efforts with other types of companies. I don't know that that's a responsibility of that one firm, but as far as inclusivity in general, we still see a similar spin on how they plan to engage every minority community, whatever they might be, whether it's age, race, gender, you know, disability, neurodivergence, LGBT, you name it. Um, there are actually 27 different types of protected classes that could qualify as a minority that companies need to engage from a risk management standpoint. All right, James, can you explain that a little bit more? Like, what are the risks? You know, because so, some of the articles I've been reading to prepare for this call, you know, it's uh, just like you said, it's the punching back of the DEI. But based yeah. on the definition, or you know, the, the way I see mainstream people viewing DEI, it's like, that's not something you can, you know, you, you can't get rid of inclusivity because then, you know, you're, you're discriminating, you know? And so, right. You can't get rid of it one way or the other. So again, some of the pushback back that we see is litigation around how companies might leverage discretion to hire or supply or buy goods from whoever they like or introduce programs that they like. And here's the problem for the risk managers and the insurance people of the world. Mm -hmm. Whether you have someone crying out around discrimination or reverse discrimination, which is not a word about, by the way, it's like saying irregardless, discrimination is discrimination, no matter who you discriminate against, whether it's you or me. The problem is if companies don't have a business process mm -hmm. to show intentionality, to produce a welcoming and profitable, quite frankly, work environment for everybody, then they're going to pay out in claims no matter what. And by they, I really mean us. I mean the industry. The industry so, is right. Absolutely. What's happening with the pushback is it's actually making DEI more expensive and it's mm -hmm. making things like employment practice liability and directors and officers and errors and emissions and management liability insurance more expensive. Mm -hmm. Because we're so litigious that we're suing on both ends and when the bill comes due, it's usually an insurance claim, right? So what the pushback is actually doing is it's requiring more rigorous professionalism and more standardization in the delivery of DEI. I think it's going to benefit the, the industry in general, and it's really going to turn DEI from a philosophy to a profession, which is really where we're going, right? So while we've seen some figureheads go away and some small consultant businesses shrink inclusion scores grown tenfold mm -hmm. you know because folks want to leverage the standard they want to process and while i'll just say this one thing not to run on but while everyone might say dei looks different at every company and that's slightly true there are certain infrastructural fixings if you will that exist everywhere and i like to liken it to how one might set the table right there's a reason why the salad fork goes where it does and the soup spoon goes where it does. Now, if you run a small institution and you don't buy goods, you may not need that soup spoon mm -hmm. or the salad fork, but there's a basic table setting. 
no matter what you're having for dinner, right? Yep. Whether you're a small hospital or a big manufacturing company, there are certain fixings you should have that empower the inclusion of people that make it intentional so that whether you're being charged with discrimination or the reverse kind, which is still discrimination, yep. you basically want a, a fail safe to say, well, this was our intention. You have a defense. Right? You have a defense now. And that defense is the difference between a small legal fee, which are inside or outside counsel, to a big legal settlement because you have no defense at all. Right. Right. Well, so I mean, and, and that's really where the world is going. And in that that being necessary now is really the driving incentive for firms to continue their DEI initiatives. It's why I think spend will go up, but it'll be more clandestine. It'll be like you know, the early days of anything, you know, when cybersecurity was new everything was sexy and people were talking about hacks like this big dark thing that a guy in a, a black mask from somewhere far far away was doing now it's just a standard part of business practice to right. have no safes to protect against that it's not sexy it doesn't make the news anymore yep there's a more structured spend and both regular industry and the insurance industry know what that number is and so i think that's where we see dei going over the course of this decade perfect so, so James, so you're talking about the inclusion score um, uh, as a uh, vehicle or a framework to uh, assist with compliance with the ISO standard. All right. And we've just basically addressed the uh, uh, risk and exposures you have by not having a formalized DEI process. Um, and we all know that by reducing the claims expenses related to employment practice uh, litigation, lawsuits, yep. claims of that nature, you know, the overall industry is going to benefit. Um, uh, but what are the ROIs for uh, a particular company who does institute, you know, uh, a loss control like this? What are the benefits they're going to see? The way I would calculate ROIs essentially in three prongs, right? You're, if you're a company of, of size, you know, say you got more than a, a hundred employees for the small firms, you still make a savings. But the way I would, calculated loosely if i was doing it on the back of a napkin is really three big pieces you're likely going to save at least one employment one hr role someone who would normally manage this right let's call that whatever the price of you know employment is in, in your part of the country your part of the globe that's number one number two you're going to save on some of the ad hoc projects that you've been doing with regards to di that may or may not benefit your core constituency, whether they be your employees or your consumers. And last but not least, you're going to make a savings on your insurance premiums. So right now, if we just think about HR and we focus on employment practice liability, those uh, premiums are going up at about 15 to 30% a year. Let's mm -hmm. round that absolutely yep. that to 20. Let's just say 20% for the sake of this conversation. So whatever your premiums are, you're making 20% savings plus you're gonna save maybe one job by giving a, a more rigid, rigorous deployment of DEI per the standard. Yep. Last but not least, you're gonna save on some of those ad hoc projects that you'll be doing. And I'll give you an example really quick. I was invited down to give a talk at a big water company down in Texas for in June of last year for Pride Month. It's the first time they wanted to do an LGBT thing. They also wanted to join the LGBT Chamber of Commerce nationally. It turns out the CEO's kid is gay or queer, something good for them. But my speech to them was similarly to how you would have a chief information officer 
by Microsoft Word because Jason needs to use it to write letters, right? Mm -hmm. You got to think about who the customer of delivering DEI is. It's your core constituents at work. If you don't have an LGBT employee resource group, focus mm -hmm. group, whatever there, then the question is, why are you joining the chamber? Like, who are you selling that to, right? It may be premature. And we do a lot of that, you know, after George Floyd's murder, everyone came out like, we want to do this, we want to do that with Black folks, that we want to do things in supplier diversity, but they do things in supplier diversity, maybe without having uh, employee resource groups internally that they could lean on and say, how should we execute this? And so some of the execution may have been off and it may have also been a waste of money. So I think when you add those three things up again, ad hoc DEI spending, at least one uh, management job per DEI, and then your insurance premiums, you come out to a pretty significant number. I'm thinking a lot of mid-sized firms, you're thinking of a, a six digit number or higher. When, if you started implementing the standard and started implementing intentionality in your DEI strategy, I think you, you save, you know, the vast majority of that, let's say 80 to 90% of that to start, because it doesn't take a lot of money to start implementing some of these systems and then mm -hmm. asking your employee body, what should we do next? Right. right. And going based on what they're prioritized. If you've got a bunch of Asian women working at your company that want to do certain things, maybe your immediate conversation, you might not be able to prioritize, you know, black stuff. You know, I hear people having very black and white conversations in parts of the country where I don't know that the, the population looks like that. Right. So we cannot lead DEI based on the headlines and what's on the news. We need to lead it based on who our customer of DEI is, which starts with our employees, hopefully ends with our consumers. And then we can calculate uh, how we deliver it uh, based on those three ROI metrics. So absolutely. So, yeah. so James, um, yeah, thanks for this discussion today. You know, it's, it's always enlightening. Um, and I think next time, uh, next week when we meet, I think we should talk a little bit more about the application of the inclusion score and basically how we're leveraging the inclusion score with uh, uh, London to yep. provide savings for our, our commercial clients. Definitely. Yeah, let's do a deep dive into that. Uh, yeah, because I, I think that's really where it's going. Everyone that we're interacting with these days is a proxy of firms who realize they want to better manage their premiums. Um, so yeah, looking forward to it. We'll talk about it next week. All right. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, James. All right, Jason. Yeah. See you later.